Greyhound leader to trap one. Emergency alert to all radar stations. Together we are John Featonby and Lawrence Sutcliffe, the Highlanders. Oh, oh it's not our okay. We're not allowed to do that. Oh, no, sorry. We're not allowed to hijack people's podcasts. I've trodden over all of Mark's podcasts. Sorry, Mark. Let's crack on. It's uh, it's a crossover episode, like um, <laughs> the three nitwits. <laughs> I can't think of any crossovers off the top of my head. There, I was gonna. I felt like I built a name some, but uh, what like when. Well, did not didn't Murder She Wrote turn up in Magnum PI once? Have I dreamed that as well? Do you know I'm, we're now so adrift in terms <laughs> of facts and truth and objective reality that I don't know whether things are true or not. I think there was an episode of Magnum PI where Jessica Fletcher turned up. No, that can't be right, can it? No, because I don't That's think just, they were at the same time. No, it's but didn't not she cross over? Because I know Tom Bosley was in Murder She Wrote early on, but then. He got his own, like, Father Brown investigates kind of thing. They did have a crossover, I think. No, Father Brown is Rory's dad. That's I know, but it's I forgot what the... What this the... is terrible. This is not our podcast. This is Mark's podcast. <laughs> we, should, we should be doing this in Mark's <laughs> podcast. Right. So, I, we, it turns out we can't think of any crossovers either. No, what about the, Flintsto- the Flintstones and the Jetsons? They, yes. they, ah, they, there's one for them. Yeah, there's one for the kids, eh? Yeah. There they are. <laughs> You may, you may remember the Flintstones from various mortgage commercials that they seem to do these days. If any of your listeners play the Lego Dimensions game. Yeah, because all of Mark's listeners come from 2012. But the Doctor Who level on that, there was a... Oh, it's brilliant. I think you could unlock, you could go back in time or forward in time within the level and you went to either the Flintstones house or Jetson's house oh, yes. to... Uh, to do stuff. Oh, Mark, did you ever see the Doctor Who stuff in Lego Dimensions? I didn't. I didn't. Sounds great, It though. is phenomenal. I mean, it's a, it's just a silly Lego computer game where you get, uh, there's like an interactive um, plug-in thing yeah. with a lighty-up panel and you put these sort of various characters on and they appear in the game. And it was all sort of built around various franchises. So there was Batman and the Lego movie and Simpson. Ghostbusters, Back to the Future. And one of them was Doctor Who. So you've got a little Lego Peter Capaldi and a Lego TARDIS and a Lego K9 and Lego Daleks. But the, the Lego Doctor Who aspect of the game, the bit in the game, the Doctor Who level you played, was fucking phenomenal, yeah. wasn't it? It was just like Easter eggs all over the place. It was really deep, deep yeah. Doctor Who love going it, on. It had, um, if your character got killed, your Doctor character got killed, he appeared as the next Doctor regeneration-wise. And the, the inside of the TARDIS changed as yeah, well. Yeah, if you went into the TARDIS, it was a different TARDIS. And if you went, there was a specific date that if you went into the TARDIS as the fourth Doctor, you got the backup wood panel to control oh, it. Fantastic. Um, Lego Zygons. Yeah, there was one bit where you had to collect all the bits, and it was just like one of those like sidey quests, and then you put all the bits together, and it turned into like a giant, enormous K one robot. Yeah, it's just like this is like that's that's the deep cut. That is that's like so it was a hidden level as well, which was the dinosaurs on a spaceship level. Yeah, written by Chris Chibnall, and so it's relevant. Ah, uh, we tell tell Dexter we've come full circle. <laughs> Excellent. So. Uh, so, yeah. But no, we're looking forward to chatting with you again about uh, the Cold Blood, second part of the 
two-part Silurian story. Yes, we're going to watch it this time, pay close personal attention to it and comment pertinently, <laughs> John, John pertinently, he was the third Doctor Who, <laughs> on things that are going on on the screen. That's our under, that's our pledge this time, isn't it? And we got distracted last time. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. sorry. So you say, last week we talked about The Hungry Earth, uh, and this week we've got mm. the, the second part called... Have Saint you heard Saint of that pop singer? Bruce Springsteen, Bob Springsteen, I think he's called. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> he did a song called Everybody's Got a Hungry Heart. Now, heart is an anagram of Earth, it now occurs to me. So maybe this is a Bob Springsteen tribute. It's not, is it? <laughs> Cut that bit out. <laughs> Every, but I will now sing Everybody's Got a Hungry Earth as I'm driving home. Yes. Yes. Sorry, Mark. That's what, no. what I have to deal with everything. <laughs> no, I, 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 that, I, I, I did wrong. I was wrong. Sorry. Yes, sir. Uh, so. I just yeah. knocked, knocked now. <laughs> 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 I'm just clutching his head going, what have I done? I can, I can just hear sobbing. <laughs> can you hear sobbing? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was going to say, what, what a week it's been since uh, since we last recorded. It's been extraordinary. Hope everyone's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just didn't think Meghan Merkel would do that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, ha, hey, hey, now, look, because there's no Doctor Who on these days, I've noticed, and there's not even Series 2 of Class. Would that have been, was Class this time last year, or was it even further away than that? It was, I think it was even further away. It was the year before, yeah. It was 2016. Oh, really? Holy moly. How, how quickly time goes. I couldn't get on with it at all. I, I, no, so sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say, this is not for me, don't you? Yeah. I, I, I struggled. I tried getting into it, and I couldn't. Yeah, I, I don't miss it. Nah. Did you did you get watch it all in the end, Mark? I, I watched it all just for completism, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it never, are, are never you really the grabbed me. guy that had the whole DVD set of the weird Australian K9 <laughs> show where K9 doesn't even look like K9? Have you got that? No, that I didn't get past the second episode of. <laughs> Did you buy it though? That, no, I, I watched it on um, it on Channel Five or something at one point. Or was it? Was it, it was actually it was, on telly, was it? It I was. Mean. Yeah, I think it was like a Saturday morning, Sunday morning TV thing here. Um, but Bob Baker imprimatur, didn't it? Yeah, he was. He was behind it. He was on um, Toby Haydock's Who's Round a few weeks ago. Uh, and he was talking about okay. how it, it got much better as it went on, <laughs> but I, I don't know I, many, I, many people I, that got yeah, that. Far. I, that. I, I didn't even think it started that badly. It was just weird, and because I am a, a dull, plodding, literal man, I couldn't quite work out how it fitted into continuity. So I just decided it didn't, and I left it. Yeah, they had K nine laughing on mm. it. That, I thought that was a weird, jarring thing. Yeah. They yes, it was just. Mm. It was John Leeson, though, wasn't it, who did the voice? I think so, yeah. Why are we talking about this? Is this my fault as well? <laughs> and spin-offs. Yeah. Because there's no Doctor Who on to watch. Because there's no Doctor Who on to watch. Oh, and i tell you why it's in my head. It's because we were thinking, I was thinking about... And I, I, I keep saying this, I really hope we're not being sort of negative and dismissive of Chris Chibnall's contribution to Doctor Who so far. But I, I was struggling a little bit with the thinness of some of the, the story elements of um, 
this two-part of hungry earth and cold blood mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm it now occurs to me to wonder was this at a point where chris chibnall was very heavily involved with torchwood i think he's um, yep. he'd finished by then yep. he'd moved away from oh, right. torchwood and um yeah, he thought his kind of involvement was at an end, and then he got uh, an invitation out of the blue to to come back and write this one. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we were a bit negative last week about Hungry Earth, and actually, overall, I don't dread Chris Chibnall's name appearing next to a story. I liked Forty Two, which I went back and rewatched. Yeah, um, I really like Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. I really like Power of Three. Um, it's just this one, and I, and that's what makes me wonder whether it's not really his fault, but with the shortcomings in Hungry Earth and Cold Blood, um, because when it's written well, it's written well. I, I do think it's feel it's an execution um, side of things. Yeah, this more this than. Is, uh, this one's directed by Ashley Way, which is his only Doctor Who writing credit. Right. Credit. You're right. Do we know what else Ashley Way has done? Um, he's, he's worked. He's done the Sarah Jane Smith Adventures and uh, Attack of the Grass or something like that, and kind of worked around Doctor oh, Who. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the Sarah Jane Adventures are really good. Attack of the Grass is the that was the sort of narrative interludes in the prom. Well, it was, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, the, the Sarah Jane Smith, or one of the ones that he did, was the one with Matt Smith, uh, The Death oh, of the Doctor, which was a particularly good one. It's such a beautiful pair of episodes, that. Yeah. I don't know that you would sing Correction out for no. <laughs> <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I, my favourite bit, I love all of that, but my favourite bit is when they both simultaneously do their impression of Agador. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they both, both into Peladon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, have you, is your Agador John in Pride of Place from the mini collection? Oh, God, the figurine collection. Mark, is it, is you, you know when you chose to, to subscribe to the part work, the, the thingy Doctor Who books? The complete history. And I, I chose the figurine collection. <laughs> you, chose, you chose wisely, my friend. <laughs> the figurines are great, but I now have a wardrobe full of them. And they keep just, like, every month. Another Cyberman, <laughs> something <laughs> else turns up. The Agador's different, darling. The Agador's really good, actually. It's ni- they're nicely done. Oh, there was a good Alpha Centauri a couple of months ago. Yeah, but they're very, they're very, very hungry of space. Yeah. You, you are aware that you're creating this sort of yeah. area in your flat. Yeah. That's infinitely heavier and denser than the rest of your flat. It is, it is like Warriors of the Deep in that we're it, me and uh, Eagle Moss, who published the figurine collection, are locked in this destructive <laughs> spiral. But they can't stop publishing while I'm still subscribing, and I can't stop subscribing while they're still publishing. So it's like it, t- it takes one one of us is going to have to blink. There should have been another way. <laughs> <laughs> so, is is there an end in sight to the figurine collection? Or does it have a finite number of issues that they've uh, got planned? I, or? I think they're now saying 180. And we're up to about 113. So I'm not even two-thirds of the way. The complete history has just been extended by 10 volumes to cover right. Right, 
Yeah, right up until the end of the Capaldi era with um, Twice yeah. Upon a Time. And like the genuine proper Doctor Who fan you are, your immediate concern was how the spine image would work. Yeah, what, what are they going to put on the That's end of the cool. spine? My, my first collection of James Bond DVDs was the ones where the spines all lined up to do the 007 gun logo, and then they kept making James Bond films. Yeah. So, you know, it ended past the end of the logo. It's, it's a difficult business. <laughs> I, I struggle with spine images. If I'm in, I'm into the bitter end. Yes. <laughs> I used to, the first time I ever saw Survivors was when they brought it out on video. Yeah. And so I made up a skull. Oh, oh empty nice. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Uh, it was difficult to let that go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not mentally speaking very well, are we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, big sorry. shout out to Morris's podcast, who's kind of kind of cold shouldering us. She's looking at us through the window. Yeah, pod, podcast is here, but, uh, wanting to come in the house. But if I let her in, she's bound to jump on something. Yeah. Also, she doesn't really like me. She doesn't really like anyone. She doesn't really like me. Well, <laughs> I have opposable thumbs. That's my big sort of yeah. contribution to her life. So without further ado, shall, shall we watch Cold Blood? Yep, we're yes. all queued up at this end. Okay. Um, so uh, would you like to count us in, Lawrence, uh, as is uh, tradition? Uh, <laughs> he's not very good at it. <laughs> no, that's Somebody interrupts me very frequently. Um, if you're going to watch the episode Cold Blood along with us while we gather at you, nice lady and gentleman at home, press play in three, two, one, go! And please, we've got a nice lady and gentleman at home in as well there for uh, for the Highlanders uh, yes. bingo players. <laughs> Our catchphrases are spectacularly late. <laughs> so, oh, I like a recap. We, uh, while the recap is going on of last week's story, uh, at time of recording, I might be getting the opportunity to meet David Tennant a week today. Woo! Fantastic. Uh, going to Glasgow Film Festival, and he's coming along for one of his films, which I've got tickets for. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, we, we just got a quick shot of the, of the cliffhanger, a weak cliffhanger for a two-part Carter, I thought. Well, yeah, but it was. I thought that editing of the previously on Doctor Who was quite well done. Yeah, and all the shouty about uh, getting rid of the vermin from the face of the planet she loves. So this starts with a voiceover, doesn't it? Or does it? Yeah, this is um, a voiceover from Eldane. Eldane, played by Stephen Moore, will forever be known. Mm. As the voice of Marvin, the paranoid android in the proper versions of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Marvin. Yeah. That or me with all with pain and all the diets down my left side. He's got a really voice. He was also um, he's in tons of stuff, and you can always tell because he's the one who sounds like Marvin. (laughs) Uh, You know, you remember Kevin and Perry from Yes. Yeah, he's Kevin's dad. Ah, right. Yes, of course. Yeah. Oh, he's great. Ah, Of course, he is. Yeah. They recast him for the movie, didn't they? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a hitchhiker's purist. I, I love the two radio series. I think that, that sort of fit the first, fit the second, fit the second yeah. are phenomenal. And I, I got there's a, a lot of people who are very fond of the TV version, but I never got over the recasting of Ford Prefect. Mm. Uh, so Jeff McGibbon, who was the radio Ford Prefect, was fantastic. 
and the TV guy was, I thought, not quite so good. Um, actually, I meant they, re- they recast Kevin's dad for the movie, not uh, <laughs> <laughs> not Marvin. But <laughs> Sorry, Mark. It was uh, it was a, a bit of a sidestep too far, really. That. <laughs> Yeah, come on, come on, Mark. Try and focus on the program, man. We're watching Doctor Who with you going off on your tangents. I haven't seen Kevin Perry the movie. Is it very good? It's actually surprisingly enjoyable. It's one of those ones that's actually directed by somebody, isn't it? It is. No, I mean it's directed by somebody that is somebody. No, it is. It's, yeah. um... Alfred oh. Hitchcock, Orson Welles. <laughs> that's helpful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say something like Danny Boyle, but it's not. It's not Danny Boyle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Her, her hands were locked down, and yet she still managed to pick something. Like a lizard man's pocket. I don't know. It's the, it's, I think we've had worse contrivances yeah. in the story. <laughs> well, just going back to the, we've sort of walked past it, or the doctors walked past it. The underground city. Oh, it's, this time. Mate, did that make me think of part of Skyrim? When you know Skyrim, there we go. Keep it on on point, Bob. <laughs> Let's get into the big four games. Into the into the big underground. Well, no, I was yeah. it looks similar enough the, the to wonder if, underground, if this had inspired that. The stupid underground mushroom bit. That's the one. Oh, I hate the stupid underground mushroom bits. Oh, Doctor Who has always looked more expensive than it is in in its recent incarnation. I think often in its classic era. The the wobbly wall, I think they always do quite well at spending their money. Yeah. I think what's let it down in the past, which the new series doesn't do, is there was always a a lack of imagination about the future in the classic era. That's true. These are are the bits that, for me, slightly, that that don't don't soar as high as the rest of the programme when we're dealing with Rory and... That lady, who Ambrose, I guess. Yeah. Um, see, I, I'm just struggling to delineate the human characters in this, you know, and it, it's, um, it's well, let's think, if this was like, I don't know, Stones of Blood or City of Death or Green Death or something, we would know who all the characters were and we'd have had sort of deft suggestions as to what motivated them and who they were and i don't i don't really pick it up in this you know there's just a bunch of characters who it's like oh the kid's been kidnapped so that's a motivation and you know it's it's not there's a sort of slight underlying absence of depth Mm. to the characters i perhaps unfairly yeah nobody's there's no standout kind of guest Guest actors particularly are there. Mira Sayal, but apart from that. Yeah, Mira Sayal, but she's a sort of de facto companion at that point, you know, and and she is the only one. No, I just mean that, you know, the the various characters are kind of of running around who you would hope would be driving the story, but I don't really particularly care that much. That's quite a nice little bit. I never noticed before where um, uh, Alea, isn't it, the, the Silurian warrior? She's sort of enjoying the sunshine on her face, which um, I hadn't hadn't really picked up on, but it's a nice little uh, point. They obviously they've been underground for so long. Um, Yeah, natural sunlight would be uh, would be something that they wouldn't be used to. Yeah, well, I I mean, 
how how long have they been underground? Because I mean, I know it's like millions and millions of years, but has she been awake and functioning? Is that city an ongoing concern, or are they all still in suspended animation? Down there? No, they're in suspended because she's so ba- basically. She, it might just have been a couple of days since she last. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, the um, it's revealed that uh, towards the end, isn't it? That is it, Malika, the the scientist, that he has been awake the whole time. Um, and his family. He goes uh, he's like he's like he's a nice sort of benevolent scientist. Then does he not just go a bit loony at the end of this episode? Oh, celery <laughs> joke. Uh, one of the things I did read about this episode is that uh, so the scientist um, Malika is derived from Malcolm Hulk. Oh, nice. Um, and. I Ren- and Restack is from Terence Dix, which I don't really get that one so much as. Well, no, it's quite quite a lot. Of, was it Continental Drift? <laughs> yeah. They talk about in decay. No, yeah. that's that's neat. I I can't mm. believe I've gone this this long in life without knowing that, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. So the their costumes as well are um, not so much with Restack here, but the other warriors are loosely based on the. Sea devils with their kind of uh, netting type costumes that they had, so they've got a kind of chainmail type thing going on underneath, uh, and the weapons yeah, as well, I like the discs. The, I love the sea yeah. devil vest stuff. That is, are the sea devil vests not like um, Alpha Centauri's cloak, or sort of last minute addition to stop them looking quite so naked? I think so. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's terrific. It's a, it's a beautiful. Um, addition to the look of the sea devils. The only drawback is that I used to love those character options, five, five and a half inch figures, mm. and they did a great sea devil one, but the vest didn't look quite right. And it was the same with Omega. You know, they'd done a three doctors Omega, uh, but he got his, they'd done his cloak out of like material, and it just suddenly it takes your authentic looking action figure and sort of makes it look slightly like a Cindy doll. <laughs> I haven't got too many of the uh, of the figures. I've got I've got the Doctors, and a few Daleks and a few Cybermen and a Drashig. Uh, but that's oh, it. Uh, I don't have a Drashig. But I I sometimes think I do, and then I remember I have a Fendal Fendaline. The big yeah yeah yeah. You you to be congratulated on your impulse control, basically, Mark. I've got a box full of these things. <laughs> the Drashig's great because it's a glove puppet. Yeah. It's, uh, yes, it is. Uh, it's, uh, it's and do you do you, hold with, do you hold with this idea that it was a deliberate anagram of dish rag? I think is that is that what the what the writer said, or is that something that's been attributed later on? Uh, I don't know. I mm, it's hard to say, isn't it? It's Robert oh, Holmes, no, Lawrence is uh, propelling his way over to the <laughs> reference books to help. Checking in the discontinuity guide, which uh, is such the kind of one that would be in there. That is quite impressive. It must be, you'd think, I mean, I'm all for a bit of suspended animation, but you should surely get a bit of a lie down. Yeah. <laughs> if you stood up for 95 million years, you're going to have varicose veins. I suppose they are, they're standing up in the arc in space as well, aren't they? Yeah, but that's in space, isn't it? So I presume there's like zero gravity, turn, so it's kind of all right. They turn the gravity off once the uh, suspended it's on animation. on Earth, where they're stood standing. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think so. I like the um, we've moved past it now, but I, I like the Silurian guns. 
they, they seem thematically consistent with the old Sea Devil guns. Yeah. The, yeah. The disc part, yeah, the design from that. Yeah. Oh. So recently had the news that um, the special effects company that the series has used since it came back in 2005 are being replaced for Series 11. Oh, okay. Um, by an outfit called Double Negative, who did the special effects for the new Blade Runner. What? <laughs> <laughs> you can't have done all the special effects for Blade Runner 2049, because there's, there's at least 15 different special effects in Blade Runner. <laughs> at least, at least, yeah. There's the one where he's flying in his car. That's one. Wow, that's um, that's amazing. Uh, and also, <laughs> our our close personal friend Murray Gold <laughs> is. We've, we have no more Murray Gold music, and I will miss him. Is is he there with you today for a reaction? <laughs> or uh... <laughs> I know sometimes. No, he's, he's we don't what... really know him. I'll be honest with you. All those times Murray Gold was on the podcast, that was just me doing a voice. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just the. Magical illusions of podcasts. It was just me doing a voice. It doesn't even sound like that. <laughs> I was completely fooled. <laughs> uh, yes, it seems yes. like it's all changed, isn't it? Murray Gold's out. Music um, Series 11. It's like the John Nathan Turner approach, isn't it? He he dropped a lot of the kind of directors and the uh, uh, Dudley Simpson when he came in. Yeah, new people on board. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big apologist for series eighteen. I mean, I love seventeen. It's you know, it's fantastic, but mm. it it kind of was showing its age. And I know you know it's a it's a popular criticism of of series eighteen is that Tom Baker looks absolutely sort of tired and ill and disaffected. Um, but I like that. I mean, there's a sort of in-universe explanation for that, which is his body's wearing a bit thin and all mm. that. I love 18. And, it, you know, I remember, because I would have been, I think, 15 uh, when season 18 started, which is kind of old to be watching Doctor Who. And, you know, it, it, it was up against, I think at that stage, it was up against Buck Rogers in the 25th century on ITV. And, you know, we'd had Star Wars for years and Doctor Who was just looking a bit old. And then suddenly you've got this, I, to my mind, unheralded, unanticipated, neon logo, whizzy synthesizer music, bright colours all over the place. It was fantastic. I love season 18. was not thinking about Tom Egan. Was he, that the series he was actually ailing? Because he had to have his hair permed because it went straight. I think it might be. Yeah. Yeah. All, his, all his clothes went purple. Yeah. <laughs> I love that purple. <laughs> yeah, the burgundy thing is a great look. So we've just had Ambrose killing the Silurian prisoner. Yeah, that was ill-advised. With um, some kind of taser, I guess. We'll all have tasers by 2020. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, she seems a little distraught, though. Yeah. Again, it's yeah, not, it's, not uh, hugely delved yeah. into, is it, with the, the, the kind of the ramifications, like the, the personal ramifications of her killing another sentient being. Yeah, it, it, there's a necessity to, to establish some sort of conflict at this point, isn't there? But this does sort of, it comes a little bit out of the blue. Uh, no. I don't know. Look at this. This is beautiful. I thought, wow, that's a fantastic set, but it's not a yeah. set. It's a place, isn't it? 
will be one of those places in Cardiff. It's the Temple of Faith and Healing or something like that, I think it's called. Oh, wow. I've got this written down. Yeah, I think New Times in the series. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, the, uh, it's the Welsh National Temple of Peace and Health, uh, which is used in the end of the world, Gridlock and the Fires of Pompeii. Oh, Fires of Pompeii, I would, I guess, but the rest of those sound, sound plausible. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'm going to carry on thinking, though, that that's where the Welsh Assembly meet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's where they sit cross-legged and sing hymns and... Uh, in their, well, in their togas with their woad. Yeah, <laughs> they just sing that one hymn that Russell, that Russell T. Davis always has. And what is the one they sing at the end of that thing? Big car, the traffic jam episode. Where they're oh. all in a traffic jam. Lawrence, you know, it's something yeah, like that. The dog's gridlock, yeah. Is What's it the old rugged cross? Was it the it's old, something like that. The old cross it's, yes, it's not that. Oh, it's got Ardlow Handel in it. It'll be My Little Horse. Calma, 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 macra. Macra would have been better. <laughs> ah, no. Sorry, take two. Can we go again? <laughs> crabs, crabs are stupid and macra is Well, this is the inevitable bit where we all just start yeah. watching the program. <laughs> Quite a good bit where they have to go on the screen now and uh, negotiate. Yeah, that's an interesting that screen, them. isn't it? That mm. used to me that that would have been old hat even in, when was this, 2011, 2010? 2010. I yeah. do. How that's happened when it's not plugged in. Yes. Yes. Mm. Silurian technology, isn't it? So. They can yeah. activate it. What's the thing in the Empty Child where the uh, they can just turn anything into a speaker, or they can transmit to any speaker? There's some kind of oh, it's yeah. visual equivalent. Yeah. There's some good retro explaining. Ex- explaining. Yeah. That's what you. That's what you call it when you provide an explanation. It's called explaining. And if you don't think that that's right, you don't know how to speak English properly. So, how are everyone? How is everyone communicating? As usual, TARDIS telepathic field. Yeah, it's the doctor. So, how how up on the ground are they talking to the? Were they talking to the Silurian? Was the doctor there? No, he wasn't, was he? Must have quite, a big, really quite a big sphere of influence, maybe. Hmm. I suppose that if, yeah, when, the, when the TARDIS... Well, it's been the case of the century. I don't need to start worrying about it now. <laughs> I suppose that's something that's never been done. When the TARDIS lands in London, uh, why don't people suddenly start understanding tourists in their own language and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always assumed it's selective, isn't it? Um, yeah. I don't really. No, that, that hasn't <laughs> occurred to me. That is quite enjoyable. No, it's... Mm, yeah. Yeah, I shall resort to the, the TARDIS, what is it called? TARDIS wiki thing, the Doctor Who yeah. wiki, wiki thing that exists, because there will doubtless be quite a lot of insightful writing there. Yeah. Oh, here he comes. Life, Hello. don't talk to me about <laughs> life. <laughs> 
there's a bit um, I've noticed. Uh, sometimes I, you know, I think I've I've got a turn of phrase that I've invented, and then it turns out I've just stolen it from somewhere. Another thing, I, I work in a shop, uh, and sometimes polite people will say hello, how are you? And I don't just like to say fine. So I always say I'm all right. If you like that sort of thing. Um, and I thought, ah, that's quite a funny thing, and people generally smile. But it's totally stolen from Marvin. Is a bit in, I think it's right, it's possibly the beginning of series two, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where he goes to the offices of Megadodo Publications and stops up to the desk. And they say, hello, how are you? And he says, I'm all right, if you happen to like that sort of thing, which personally I don't. <laughs> Well, do you think this is a, a little bit of a, a reversal of the original Silurians and that it's the Silurians that have got the military versus the scientists conflict oh, rather yeah. than uh, the, do the doctor versus kind of the brigadier and unit in what to do? Yes, it's yeah. a very good point. Although that sort of innate human aggression towards anything other is still... Is still there. Mm. Did the humans start this? I suppose they did by, by drilling down. Inadvertently. Yeah. Uh, and they, they were just drilling to see how far they could get, weren't they? They're not drilling for resources or anything, I don't think, are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't say in the early one, they, they decided to drill there because of the unusual minerals. Uh, and right. the doctor says that wasn't an invitation, it was a warning. Yeah. Uh, Bluegrass. Oh yes, of course. I think it's just a delegation from the Flat Earth Society. Yeah. Just drilling down <laughs> and it comes out on the other side. There's a project in Russia where they did that. They just wanted to drill the deepest hole they could to say that Russia was best. <laughs> and it's now capped off. But it was something like it's five, six months, it's barely scratching the surface. Really. Yeah. Yeah, this is um... like six points in time thing. And this isn't one of them. An opportunity yeah. to do whatever you like. I've never quite understood. I say never quite understood. I've never remotely understood how fixed points in time work. They work when the writer says they work. Yeah. Yes. Something you have to do. Because once you deviate, I can understand how there would be one, right? But once you deviate from it, how do you get to any of the others from yeah. that point? Yeah. And the, the amount of time that the Doctor spent in the future, how can it be a fixed point? He knows that there's no Silurians on like the moon base, doesn't he? Um, yeah. But then there aren't any Zygons either. So, uh, But he knows that we know. 20, yeah. 20 million They're Zygons like, living among they us. They should thinking about this stuff back in the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the project you mentioned there, Lawrence, was um, Project Mohol. Which was an inspiration was... for Inferno. Uh, when the writer Don Horton looked into it, uh, he... <laughs> hey! and, uh... it's like there's a massive hole in Russia, and Don Horton's looking into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he phoned up to find out about it, and they said it's top secret. We can't tell you what happened, um, and that kind of gave him the inspiration for Inferno, as to what happens uh... when you drill too deep. So the green goo from Inferno must be further down than the Silurians. <laughs> for that plasma, that primitive plasma so that turns you all into werewolves. Mm. I like it. Inferno's a great story. It, it is, is a very it? good story. My favourite season seven. Mirror 
universe of Doctor Who, isn't it? Yeah. There's no going back, is there? It just gets destroyed at the end of Inferno. Yeah, there's one but, of the uh, one of the Lethbridge Stewart um, kind of uh, series of books that's out. There's one called The Schizoid yeah. Earth, which is uh, set before the events of Inferno. Yeah, uh, am I right, uh, Mark? Sorry, I don't remember the end of Inferno particularly well. The the, the alternative Earth, the the eye patch Earth, yeah, gets destroyed, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah completely destroyed. All, all Sludge. So there's no real going back to that one then. No. Enjoy that. I think if Star Trek Discovery is taught as anything, there's a lot to be said for a mirror universe story arc. Yeah. Sad. Sorry for mentioning Star Trek on your podcast, but as you know, Mark, <laughs> I like Star Trek a lot. I'm, I'm not a big Star Trek I'm... fan, but Discovery I... I thought was excellent. Yeah. I think they finally made good like Star all... Trek. It's only taken 50 years. <laughs> I liked all of Star Trek up to the end of Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan in 1982. <laughs> I, I could not get on with the next generation. And then there was the next, the one after that that everyone said was great was Deep Space Nine. And I watched some episodes of it and it was literally just people standing on a gantry talking to each other, explaining the <laughs> plot to each other. And then there would be different people with different bits of plastic glued on their foreheads. And some of them were the goodies and some of them were the baddies. And it was difficult. I found it difficult to work out the ideologies, if I'm honest. I, I, the, only, the first bits of Star Trek I saw were The Next Generation. And I kind of thought it was okay. But then when Babylon 5 came out, because that followed oh. on week to week and it had story arcs, it kind of left Star yeah. Trek in the dust for me because that was always wrapped up with no consequences by the end of every episode. Um, yeah. And Babylon then, 5 was. Piece of work. It was good stuff. That yeah. Is that true to the story? Do either of you know that the the Terry Nation Babylon not Babylon Five episodes we talked about Blake Seven was actually written as a reaction to Star Trek. But actually, whereas Star Trek presents the Federation as this great oh, monolithic yeah. good, Terry Nation just saw it as a an oppressive regime, and therefore the Federation in Black Blake Seven are. The villains. <laughs> ah. I have no information either way, but that sounds devastatingly plausible. You've never seen Blake Seven, I'm afraid. You've never seen Blake Seven. What is wrong with you? Why are we doing a podcast with him? Ridiculous. <laughs> we could have been on plenty of other podcasts, couldn't we? Queuing <laughs> up for us. Oh, I think you'd like Blake Seven. God, yes. Keep but thinking. Just give me seats the body, I, um... The original device. Don't I, be saying, oh, I saw the one with Patterson Joseph in 2000 or whenever it was. I won't say that then. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, if they repeat like them, they I'll don't... watch them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, four seasons of Black Seven and uh, three seasons of Survivors, then we can talk again. Yes, indeed. <laughs> shouldn't take you a couple of weeks. I like this. I, I, I like a, this is sort of... Yalta kind of thing, isn't it? I possibly could have amped this stuff up a bit, given it a bit more energy and importance. There's an interesting correlation with this at the end of Day of the Doctor, though, where it's the humans and the Zygons, yeah. and the Doctor pointing out, you can only truly negotiate if you don't know which side you're on. Oh, yeah. Because you, get, you are getting this, the humans worrying that they're going to be betrayed, yeah. so they're not really trusting the humans. I didn't like that bit. 
with the security guard whose memory seems to get wiped every day. Because presumably yeah. he just thinks every day is his first day at work. And he's like, <laughs> I can't he, I can't go anymore. he goes home and he looks in the mirror and it turns out he's 70. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they get away with it. Yeah. So have you seen with Bell and I, Mark? Maybe you haven't. I don't know. I have. Yeah, I've seen that one. Hey. <laughs> I, I think he gets away with the memory wipe because he goes home and I think has a big cover up character. <laughs> See, I'm not sure about them embarking on negotiations this serious without any kind of impact studies or any kind of clear idea of what their goals are. It seems a little far-fetched. Yeah. Indeed. I don't know, Amy's there. <laughs> I love those dead ringers, uh, David Davis sketches. Are, uh... Do you know, dead ringers was terrible for ages, and it just suddenly seems to have become really good. And I think that does Nev Fountain not do a lot of writing for dead ringers? He's one of the big Finnish writers, I think. Yeah, I think he always has, though. I think he's been with them oh, from the start, yeah. Oh, it's all got a bit serious yeah. now. Look, Doctor Who's yeah. cross. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was a bit sexist, not to blame the man for killing it. It's the yeah. lady. See, that's what the future's like. Ladies can kill Silurians as well, then. I'm not getting involved in this, Lawrence. <laughs> Don't get involved in this stuff, Mark. Just let Lawrence, let Lawrence do his stuff, and it's all it all just goes away. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I'm not sure a lot of it is quite as earned as it needs to be uh, in the story. There's a lot of emoting going on that I, I'm not joining in with. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a little... Yeah, there isn't going to be enough to earn the, the shouting and, mm. and the, the moral authority. Yeah. I felt like they could have tried some like Weekend at Bernie's type stuff. To get away with it, they could have, uh, <laughs> they could. Rory just put the mask on and pretend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No, so I love I love Stephen Moore. I think he's a properly good actor. I'm not sure he's ever had sort of proper dramatic roles to get into, but it's it's lovely. I think. I mean, I don't know anything about acting, but I imagine acting through a mask is quite difficult. Mm. But he he and um, Neve are very good at it. Yeah. I presume. I presume this is why I've forgotten her surname, Neve McIntosh. McIntosh. I presume this is why she got invited back to be. Did did they ever say, "Gosh, you don't half look a lot like"? Because <laughs> yeah. I suppose Madam Bastard in the past at this point, isn't she? She yes, yeah. uh, No, they don't, do they? Um, well, I, I don't know. I missed it. It's maybe they've just gone. Oh, we we could say she looks the same, but then that's a little bit racist. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, also thinking about just recently, they do it with uh, when the Tenth Doctor and Rose meets, uh, or what she called the the super one from Torchwood, good one, Gwen, meet Gwen Cooper, yeah, uh, and and they they make a point immediately of recognizing her as being the same, look, the look, looking exactly like whatever she's called from the Unquiet Dead, yeah, they actually say it, yeah. Yeah, it's, I suppose it stands out as well because the, um, especially in the old series, the number of times they'd reuse an actor. Yeah. Never, uh... She just come. 
the previous character's brother or cousin or something. That would be the accepted way of doing it. Yeah. It's, uh, what's what I was uh, going to say before the um, the, 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 rig- the end of the um, the sonic screwdriver is Harry Potter esque magic wand wedge that happened, isn't it? It's like the sonic screwdriver just suddenly is capable of absolutely anything you need it to be capable of. Yeah. Stacking the guns out of the Silurians' hands. I suppose an argument for it, it saves, you know, a lot of scenes of um, the Doctor find a way to do it with some other piece of technology, wouldn't he? It would make sense that over the years he'd incorporated it into it. Uh, but yeah, we, we never saw the original meeting with Vastra, did we? He already knows her in uh, A Good Man Goes to War. And yes, of- they talk about when he found her living in one of the tube tunnels, eating yeah. rats and Preying on tunnel diggers. I know, I love that. Yeah. That's, that's just like a completely throwaway cyberpunk kind of deathline thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, deathline yeah. is a it's a horror film about uh, people who just live in the disused bits of the tube network, which is why yeah. why I segued into that from Madame Bastra because Madame Bastra yeah. was found while they were excavating the, the underground, as I mm. as I remember. Yeah, yeah we, we never did see the first encounter yeah. when Doctor Who says, F***ing hell, you don't half look a lot like <laughs> And it seems like he has had a few encounters with the Silurians <laughs> that we haven't seen, because in uh, Warriors of the Deep, he already knows about the Mercury, doesn't he? Having, yeah. not, having not met them in the previous two stories. And in this one, he knows about the... Um, the tongue that it takes 24 hours to recharge the venom. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that could uh, be from it, Madame Vastra as well, if he's uh, if he's already met her by this point. Yeah. I'll tell you what they should do. They should do a Madame Vastra spin-off series and explain it all there. <laughs> yeah. There, there will be some fan fiction somewhere that literally yeah. just plot through yeah. <laughs> connects all the things that don't need connecting. These, um, I love this the idea of this. I mean, I, I hate the idea that we can't resolve it, so we're just going to hit the snooze button and go back to sleep for a thousand years. That strikes me as just undoable. Mm. I just think there'd be some Silurians that go, oh, come on. Yeah. What? Then I'll come to sleep angry. Yeah. And I wake up still angry. Yeah. Like, uh, um, but the, that idea of You've got a thousand years, so you can see this stuff in your culture now and carry it forward as legends and stories so that you're more prepared for it in a thousand years. That almost works, except there's nothing to back it up ever. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it's just one of these things that's thrown out into the void, never happens again. Have we ever had the formal first contact story for her, for humans in Doku? I'm glad you were World War Three, when the spaceship crashes, the Zygons, but they've always kind of retro hidden it in going, oh, it was some army inheritance experiment. Oh, yeah. They've never officially gone this point in time forward. Aliens will be an accepted part of what the human timeline is. Always humans will start to experience space and will move towards the the group that they are by the time you get to something monster and curse of paladin. Well, there'll be lots of Doctor Who fans mm. shouting at us now as to all those times it's actually been done. I'm not sure. What about ambassadors of death? But they kind of then hide it. Say, I yeah. mean, where it's formally yeah. admitted to the planet, because there's yeah. been plenty. I mean, you didn't know about that 700. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
There's, uh, I suppose, like, torturing. Like, no, really, are they Martian? No, that's not what Martian. Yeah. Well, no, that's true because it's like when the Sycorax pitch up, isn't it? Yeah. And then later on, it's just sort of explained away as yeah. some sort of mass hallucination. Yeah. I suppose the, you get the, the ghost Cybermen thing. You get the Cybermen in everyone's living room in in that story, but then arguably at the end of uh, this series that has the Hungry Earth and Cold Blood in it, when the universe is reset. Everything's up for grabs again as to as to whether yeah. people know about them. Yeah, you never get the cyber king stomping all through London, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you get the. I mean, it's like the bit at the end of the the Silent Monks thing that we didn't like this last series. It's not that we didn't like it; it's that everything else was better. Yeah. yeah, but it gets to the end, and they and they ask the people walking past, "Oh, what's this?" The big oh, monster statue, and they go, "I know, that's a film." So, aren't yeah, they? that was a good one. Shooting a film. Yeah. And, and why are so many people missing and all the books have been burnt and stuff, yeah. So, yeah. all part of the well, film. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> where we are now, though, I was talk, talking to somebody about this in different contexts. Like, when I was growing up in the 70s, I, that's beautiful. I was a, a big fan of, you know, kind of UFO and unexplained phenomena and all that things. And I, I loved the idea that people would take photographs that looked like they were UFOs, but they could be describable another way. And then there was a beautiful conspiracy theories in the 90s that the X-Files was actually a, an American government thing designed to soften us up for real yeah. content. Yeah. And then now you're at a point where literally everybody's carrying a camera around with them and there's no UFO photographs yeah. at all. So, you know, it's a little, here we go with the proper crack stuff. Cracks turned into a big smile. It is awesome. I remember that. Just like, it's a cleverly designed shape, isn't it? That crack. Oh, is this not? I just suddenly remember because I, I didn't get time to rewatch Cold Blood, so I've just remembered that this is—is is it not where we lose? Spoiler uh, alert: where we lose someone. Yes, as usual. Yeah, that's. Uh, it was all sort of foreshadowed with him taking Amy's engagement ring. Yeah, because yeah. that was a peculiar thing to happen. The only reason it happened was so that she wouldn't be wearing an engagement yeah. ring at this point. Yeah, yeah. It was an odd thing to say. Uh, yeah, don't wear your engagement ring, especially when he seems to have such a tenuous, yeah. tenuous grasp on her. Anyway, uh, you think he'd want to wear in the engagement ring? Yeah, she yeah. I think Blamo, dearie me. So, the, where are we in the Rory dying all the time sequence? Is this the first time he died? This, this is his first one, yeah. Yeah, we saw him die in um, Amy's Choice, which is, is that the one that immediately before this, but then that wasn't the real version of events that was being presented to them. He got uh, oh, yeah. kind of turned to dust by the old people, the possessed old people. Yeah, good point. That was Ponytail Rory, wasn't it? Yeah. I think at this point, like this, this seemed like it for him as well. It didn't seem like, uh, you know, there's no knowledge that he was going to come back at this point. No, no. To me as well, I, I, and this is total projection, this feels like a bit that Chris Chibnall is no longer writing. Yeah. I think these, yeah. these are the things that Stephen Moffat probably said, right, here Here are the points we're going to hit during the, the series. Yes, I think that's right. I think we're into a bit of, of Moth. Yeah. Oh, it's great. How, how how was your feeling about the whole crack in the universe ongoing plotline, Mark? Yeah, I thought it was a, it's a great idea, and it, it, it say nicely ties all the stories of the season together, and it grows this threat because the cracks are getting bigger each time they see it, doesn't it? Uh, and yeah. this is quite a scary idea that it can just erase you 
entirely from history. Um, but then I guess, you know, it's the thing of, of if you look at the wider Doctor Who, why is he never seen the cracks before if they're all throughout space and time? Um, why does he only see them in the stories of this series? But I mean, that's a, a pernickety point because uh, it's just the limitations of the, uh, you know, the, of the way the series works. But, yeah, and, uh, and our, our limitations as being sort of three dimensional humans who can yeah. only <laughs> go through time in the direction we go in. Um, yeah. I, I, always, I don't know, I, I don't mind, you know, sort of retconning these things and saying, well, you know, I, everything, everything the Doctor reckons in the order he experiences it. Uh, so prior to this point, there weren't any cracks in the universe for him to see, even though technically they were in the past and future. Yeah, um, he's, he's only able to see them now. I d it doesn't really work. It's like the bit at the end of every what they have now, every multi-doctor story. Because it always used to bother me about the five doctors. That by the time Peter Davison's doctor is doing it, he's going, "Oh, not this again!" Yeah. <laughs> like Groundhog Day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like now, except now I'm standing over here, and they establish this idea that it erases. You know, it's erased. From yeah. the memories of each doctor after it's happened, mm. so I'm happy for that kind of budge. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I would like to have seen uh, all the classic stories re-released with the crack digitally superimposed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and um, Clara Oswald in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah another re-release uh, when that one came out as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. There hasn't been a, a recent a new edition of Sharda for a month or so. I think we <laughs> should redo that. Did you like the uh, the new version of Sharda? I thought it was excellent. Genuine lump in the throat where the old elderly Tom Baker turned up in the proper TARDIS concert control room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was the same. It was. Uh, it's a beautiful moment, that isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Just think about this thing with uh, with Rory there that he's erased from time. I'd never made the connection at the time, but it's uh, it's thin ice, isn't it, in the most recent series? that The Doctor makes a joke of that, and he... Yeah. Where Bill talks about, you know, do I need to be careful about standing on butterflies? Um, and he says, I can't remember, that he makes up a character, doesn't he, and said, oh, yeah, that's what Steve said, he was just there a minute ago. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, that was good. Yeah. Sorry, I got slightly distracted by the actual programme we're watching there. <laughs> about there being another way uh which because uh, i was slightly worried that they were just sort of totally disregarding warriors of the deep i'd never spotted that that's, that's a nice touch isn't it yeah i'd never that rory's not there anymore sorry i'm, I'm not yeah and and she knows there's something up mm. something's up and then it all goes a bit sinister he's looking a bit, <laughs> he's looking a little bit shifty like moss out of the it crowd there yeah. for some reason <laughs> Like not being able to make eye contact. <laughs> yeah, and now finally, see, I would have looked at this thing I'd fished out of the thing straight away. Yeah, but I have no impulse well, as, as we've previously established. <laughs> That's a good hockey hanky as well. Yeah, and I'm not sure this bit is entirely necessary. So just check: is it? Is this? Oh, I thought it looked familiar. Oh, blind me! <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> that is actually a lot better than giving it credit for being. Yeah. Yes, I think the second episode picks up a lot. Yeah, I, I think the second episode is, is the stronger of the two. Mm. Yeah. 
a lot of two parties. It's the other way around, isn't it? The especially the Russell T Davis ones. The first episode's really good. All the setup and the uh, the cliffhanger, um, and then often the uh, the part two's let it down. Yeah, I remember the the series. Um, was it series nine where it was all two parters? Yeah. Or is it? I'm, notionally, it was all going to be two parters, and the worry there was it was going to be that because you, you know I think it's a an accepted shortcoming of that format that when you get to the second of the two parts, you know what the setup is and you can't you know that so you're robbed of novelty and uh, excitement and that sort of thing. But they, they did it really well in that series by, by sort of delineating the two halves of each story into quite sort of quite separate entities. Um, so I enjoyed it. I was a, it was an interesting format. I like it when they tinker with stuff, and I, I feel like um, so we still don't know whether the the next series is going to be, as I have heard mentioned, one ten episode story arc mm. or not. Yeah, that would be interesting. That idea that they might switch have three doctors in different periods through the regeneration interacting and then because there's three new companions it's actually one new companion for each mm. period of the doctor yeah. i heard that mentioned but it's that, i don't think that's quite borne out by some the of the photos, photos that have come out this week yeah would suggest that they're all together the uh four strong um yeah. kind of cast are, are all interacting with each other yeah. and uh, arriving in the tardis <laughs> in sheffield yeah the, the, the doctor has her tardis so you know i, I I'm not sure. I'm not sure. This is the delightful thing about yeah. it is I don't know. It's like, yes, I don't how know. long has it been since we didn't know stuff about Doctor Who? Do we know when it is estimated for it to be returned? Are we looking at a September? It's October, according to the BBC. They, they do like a, I think it's a, like a catalogue thing, isn't it? To let yeah. sort of merchandisers and yeah. people interested in these know sort of, you know, what the series are. Yeah. And I think that specifically said October. Yeah, but it's a ten episode thing, so I think is it going to is it the case? Because did they not say there's going to be something like twelve or thirteen hours of new content? Yeah, I think that and that included that included adverts for overseas sales. Apparently, that was the yeah. uh, that was the kind of yeah. I think there was a bit of um, optimism at first that there might be more episodes <laughs> or that they might be very long, but then yeah, included the advert breaks that they'll have in the USA and places like that. I love that optimism. It's like, oh, they said 13 hours of new content. That yeah. means they found Marco Polo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> usual leap of logic there. Um, yeah, is... sorry, we're getting like 10 episodes in the Christmas special. I, I hope we're getting a Christmas special. I don't know 16. if there's been any talk of a Christmas special, but I guess if it's not starting until October, that would take us up nearly till Christmas, depending on when in October it starts. Yeah. Uh, so it could be that the finale is maybe on on Christmas Day or something. Mm. It's surprising if there wasn't a Christmas showing of some kind because it's it has become traditional. Now. Well, it's not just a tradition; it does quite well for the yeah. BBC, doesn't it? It's, yeah. um, it's it's a ratings winner. And the most recent one, Twice Upon a Time, uh, it was um, Stephen Moffat wasn't originally going to write it, and then realised that neither was Chris Chibnall. So he, he thought, "I better write one <laughs> just to keep the slot." Yeah. yeah. Yes, indeed. If you get Pip and Jane Baker in, the, re <laughs> the re remaining components of Pip and Jane Baker. Um, I was going to say something there. It's completely gone. That's I don't, I don't, best, I don't think um, famously Chris Chibnall rates Pip and Jane Baker, does he? 
no, he keeps quiet about it. <laughs> um, yes, no, what was I going to say? That that Twice Upon a Time was an episode I thoroughly enjoyed. I, I thought, I, you know, I read criticisms that it was a bit light on um, actual content. I, I didn't feel that. I thought it was, a, it was, it was a beautifully textured episode. I really enjoyed I, what I felt possibly incorrectly was a nod to the Android invasion, which is, you know, the Android invasion, famously the, the last appearances of Harry and I think Benton are not the real Harry and Benton. And I felt like that was what was happening in Twice Upon a Time is that that's not the real Bill and it's not the real Nardole and it's not the real Clara. So that's clearly yeah. a nod to the Android invasion. <laughs> um, it's lovely, but it, it was... Uh, I mean, it seems to have done all right. It was like the second highest watched Peter Capaldi episode after the first one. Yeah. No, after like the second one after the first one. <laughs> after his first episode, the dinosaur one by Ben Wheatley, whose name I've forgotten. Um, uh, deep breath. breath. Yeah, yeah. Deep breath. Have a, yeah. uh, the dinosaur invasion is called. <laughs> what was it called, Mark? You know Doctor Who facts. Deep breath. Thank you. Breath. Don't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> No, I thought, I thought Twice Upon a Time was great. It was a really nice kind of rounding off of Moffat and Capaldi's yeah. eras. Um, yeah, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, no, it was a thoroughly likeable and, and well thought through. And just with, and uh, you know, just when you think Stephen Moffat, if at any point he could just be not pedalling anymore and just freewheeling down the hill to the finish line, he's still putting in really good ideas. The, um, oh, crumbs, I forgot what they're called. The, the, people in the far future who go back in time and take you out of time and yeah. download all your memories. What a great idea that is. Yeah. Just, you know, it's um, just like a beautiful history project. It's just like a, you know, the, the end, like a sort of Michael Moorcock benign vision of the end of the universe, you know, where mm-hmm. all these people in the very, very far future have become sort of quite optimistic and altruistic. And, you know, just and there's a bit where Peter Capaldi says, oh, there is, what is it? There isn't an evil plan. I don't know what to do. There yeah. isn't an evil plan. <laughs> Something like that. I thought that was, that was really lovely. It's a nice counterpoint to the sort of death in heaven um, storyline he did where people are taken at the point of death uh, and stored in uh, Missy's Time Lord kind of afterlife yeah. as well. So it was uh, it counterbalanced that quite nicely. Chris Addison going. Have you seen the the new series of the X Files? No, I haven't. So the um, the second one was a very similar storyline to to that, even down to the we have Steve Jobs line. Really? Yeah. Bloody hell. Seemed very yeah, incorrect. Yeah. To be honest, until quite recently, I didn't realise there, there was a new season of the X Files. Is, is it? What's it on? Channel Five. Oh, that would explain that then. Yeah. Is there a way a normal person can watch it? <laughs> Wait for it to be on Netflix or something. Buy it on Blu-ray. It's not been great so far. Yeah, uh, I quite enjoyed the the last one. They had the guy out of Community in it. Um. Didn't they? Which one? Jeffrey Winger. Uh, uh, John, or Joe McHale. Yes, I think he was in it. Then there was like a really weird episode with one of the Flight of the Concord guys yes, in it. that was my favourite. Right. That one was brilliant. Really? Because I, 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 I thought it just stopped taking itself seriously, Mark. I uh, couldn't enjoy it at all. Well, I, I prefer that to the, the, the really serious... Uh, some of them are very kind of continuity heavy, aren't they, about the... Uh, 
Yeah, they're the ones I like. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember the all the, the the conspiracies and the smoking man, and apparently now he's Mulder's dad. I can't remember it well yeah. enough to get into all that. Whereas the kind of the throwaway, oddball comedy episodes, they're a bit more accessible, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Have you um you you like your Marvel Cinematic Universe? We're, 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 at the time of recording. We're still waiting for Thor Ragnarok to come out on Blu-ray and DVD. Boris has seen it. I haven't. I'm looking forward to it. Have you seen it? Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Have you seen... I can't remember the name of the guy that did it. It's got a nice long New Zealand name. Oh, um, Have you seen his previous films? He did a thing called... Was it What We Do in the Dark? What yes. We Do in the Shadows. In the what We Do in the Shadows. Which is a vampire thing which is really if you like flight of the concords and silly humor and stuff you'd like that but his next film in between that and thor ragnarok was a thing called hunt for the wilder people yeah. and yeah. you've seen that haven't you lol yeah it is absolutely beautiful it's just it's such a funny heartwarming just extraordinary film i can't recommend it highly enough it's terrific yeah. taika waitiki isn't it um that that's it. Yeah. yeah, I've seen all those films. Absolutely love them. Yeah, his his sensibility and great that I think um, Marvel allowed him to bring that to such a big budget kind of blockbuster as well. Um, to bring I, that to Thor Ragnarok. What they do, well, the, the guy James Gunn who directed the two Guardians of the Galaxy films, his stuff before he directed those is phenomenal. He did um, he did super. Didn't yeah. He? Shut up, Rob. Yeah, which if you haven't seen Super, it's amazing. It's like a really good, really dark, proper version of Kick-Ass. Yeah. In that it with no superpowers, who just dresses up as a superhero and just wanders around hitting people with a wrench. Yeah, um, a wrench, yeah. It's just What else did James Gunn do? Did he do Slither? He did Slither, didn't he? Super yeah. and Slither. Yeah. yeah. Is that a Nathan one? Or is it the other guy? There's Nathan Fillion and the guy who is Hitman... Uh, and was in Deadwood. Who's the guy? Oh, uh, Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant. Mm-hmm. I always get them the, muddled up because because they both draw. Right. And one, one of those is in Slither. I think it's... I'm not sure. I no, it's I Oliphant. don't know. Yeah, I, I think it might be. Might yeah, be. I've seen Slither, but not since it came out. But yeah, again, those two movies really enjoy. Uh, have you have you seen um, the the Orville? No. No, I haven't, but I have heard of it. Is it's, it good? Uh, uh, not really. I, I kind of had <laughs> hi, hi, higher okay, hopes so for it. It's it's not funny enough to be a comedy, um, but it's so like Star Trek and so derivative that it's just kind of weird. It's not it's not a, um, like an absolute piss take of Star Trek like I was expecting. But yeah. It's not, yeah. Not enough... I felt it might be quite similar to Galaxy Quest. Oh, yes, it's very good fun. Yeah, yeah. no, what it's no Galaxy Quest. The Black Mirror episode was it the the I can't remember what it's called. It's the first of the new series. Yeah, it's the Cal. Oh, what's the spaceship called? It's basically it's a, it's an it is a, it's a Black Mirror version of Star Trek. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the new series, Cal- um, and I do need to watch cool. it. But um, I'm aware oh. that yeah, there is a Star Trek one on there. Yeah, Callister or USS Callister or something yeah. it's called. It's, I, as is always with, with the case with Black Mirror, I, I like I watch an episode and then go, yeah, I'm just going to leave that alone for a couple of months because it's yeah. very, very depressing. 
I've got a huge backlog to, to catch up on There's the most recent series of Black Mirror. I haven't seen any of Stranger Things, which I hear oh, great things save, about. Um, save you a bit of time there, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't rate Stranger Things. Uh, I liked the first one. The second one was okay. bit sort of diminishing returns, same, treading the same path again. Yeah. There are some nice performances in, in it and some nice writing. Uh, it's just like uh, it was like watching Super Eight, you know the was that JJ Abrams? Yeah. Film, where I'm watching a thing that is supremely informed by eighties eighties things, particularly Steven Spielberg and Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, that's quite interesting. But I've seen a load of Steven Spielberg and King. Steven Spielberg films and Stephen, read Stephen King books. I don't need to see a pastiche of them. It's like my problem with... Have you seen, you've read Ready Player One, have you? No, and I'm not that to see the movie no. yet. Have you, have you read Ready Player One, Mark, or are you aware of Ready Player I've, One? I've read about the first third of it. Yeah. Yeah. It beats You're enjoying very, it? Um, I've left it alone for a little while to read some other stuff. Uh, I wasn't really yeah, into it now. Good stuff, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't, and I think it's just my age, right? Because the 80s is very much, you know, sort of, I, I, when the 1980s started, I was 14, and when it, they finished, I was 24, and that's quite a span in a young a young man's can, life. Can you? That's a remarkable coincidence. <laughs> yeah, more interesting. Well, this is the abuse I get on the Highlands podcast. Um, so I, I, I've got quite a, a knowledge of the 80s. I've experienced it. And you know when things are authentic and when they're not. And Ready Player One is not authentic. All the references they make, it's all, hey, Ghostbusters and Dungeons and Dragons and Back to the Future. And you go, yeah, that is that's like really just right on the nose references. You know, if you were like a good 80s person, you'd be talking about um, watching the words of Dragon Slayer and android and ice pirates and things like that but there's none of that right so this kid who's supposed to be a world expert in the 80s stuff just ignores all the really interesting 80s culture and hits these very very boring sort of obvious targets one after the other and i just got really annoyed by it yeah i saw the teaser trailer for the movie and i thought well that looks interesting and then i saw the first proper trailer that starts telling you some of the narrative and I thought, that doesn't look interesting. No, <laughs> this looks... To me, and I love Steven Spielberg, and I have sat through fucking Amistad, right? That's how much... Amistad's a good film. It's not. I, 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 I like Steven Spielberg. But I think this has the... And it looks immaculately executed, but to me, it, it has the potential to be his worst film since Hook. This is what I'm hoping for, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah felt it, watching the trailer, it did feel like it lacked heart. Uh, and we stopped talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, we've gone really far off east. We're, we're waiting for your whip hand. I've, uh, actually, I've got something that I would recommend to our listeners. I would like to recommend to yours. I've recently come across the Ben Aronovich Rivers of London yes. series of novels. They're really nice and, books, aren't they? I enjoy those. Yeah, and I've just like racing through them onto the fifth one already. But I've also discovered sort of the extended world of them, the graphic novels that Andrew Cartmel has a go. Yeah. And um, in writing. Uh, and they're good as well. I've read the so first three the, so uh, far. The, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed them. Those people, if they're not aware of them. 
Yeah. And Ben Aronovich and Andrew Cartmel are returning to Doctor Who for a seventh Doctor comic run from Titan. Oh, I say, oh, I've never read any of the Doctor Who comics. Yeah, I know you're a big fan of them, aren't you? Yeah, I don't buy all of them because there's like four ongoing series for the 9th, 10th, 11th and 12th Doctors. But when there's a, a limited run, I tend to get mm. those. And the Paul Cornell one, which he, uh, I think it went from starting in 2016, finishing 2017 for the third Doctor yeah. was just brilliant. Yeah, that, so, that sounds like it would have been... Would have been my cup of tea. I feel slightly... I'm over-resourced at the moment. There's just too much stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it just... I mean, Paul Cornell, he's one of my favourite writers. Um, his some, some of his books, like Chalk, talking about stuff from the 80s. Um, wow. If you get a chance to read Chalk, is a brilliant piece of work, I think. Um, I, I, I'm ashamed to say I don't know it, but I will look it up, Mark. I think it's only a couple of quid on the Kindle. Um not not a very kind of long book or anything, but I, I really couldn't put it down. It's excellent. Um, and he keeps kind of saying, oh, this is my last piece of Doctor Who work and I'm going to do some other stuff. Um, but fortunately, he keeps getting tempted back. Um, and he's, <laughs> he's the, the, you know, the uh, the Target books are coming back. He's novelizing yeah. Twice Upon a Time, which I'm really looking forward to. Tremendously exciting. Yeah, that'll be good. Definitely. On that note, the, the Trap One podcast will be back next time with a book review with Jason Miller, which will be Doctor Who and the Cricket Men. Hey! Is that something you sell many copies of? Is it a popular? Not really. Not really. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's, we don't, do not sell that much Doctor Who stuff. Uh, it's it's a worry, if I'm honest. <laughs> do you have much, much, do you carry much Doctor Who stock? I know the, the Carlisle uh, store has quite a few shelves worth. Ah, nice. Well, this may be maybe our error. No, not not terribly much. No, I would say two shelves between the graphic novels and yeah. the books. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've got it's, the big finish uh, and the audio books and stuff. Published area, you know, and it's but things like I can see. I think I can see a copy of is that Infographica down there, Lob? It is, yes. Yeah, and you picked one up as well, didn't you, Mark? In works, I did. Yeah, it's a nice it, book. It's a nice book to flick through that one. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? There's so much of this stuff that comes out and it sits there around Christmas and it's 30 quid or whatever. And then it just nobody buys it. And then it's a pound in <laughs> work <laughs> a year later. And you wonder. It's like, what were your feelings on the Doctor Who Mr. Men books? Did you partake of them? I didn't. I resisted those. Yeah. Yes. I well, you know, it's it's complicated, isn't it? It's a complicated <laughs> world we live in. No, I did not. I did not. I bought them, and I regret my decision. All the way, I'm making bad decisions these days in my Doctor Who stuff. Have you noticed? I think there's no bad decisions with Doctor Who stuff because it's always going to become collectible in the future. That's how you can justify it. I'm not sure. That was that was what fueled the. Um, the comics bubble of the 1990s is why everything was an issue number one and had a holographic cover because it would you'd always be able to sell it on for more money and then it turned out like tulip bulbs and indeed bitcoin is <laughs> comes a point when nobody's that interested anymore and somebody's left with no money that was cheerful <laughs> but the uh... so I, i'm just waiting for the Build a complete TARDIS part word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. 
Well, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a been a pleasure talking over these two episodes with you. That's great. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thank you, Mark. That was very kind. I enjoyed it very much. Anytime. Uh, so we can find you on Twitter. As uh, yeah, it's, I don't know why you'd bother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at, at lol l o double l seven three at lol seven three, and I am at feexby twenty three f e e x b y two three. Uh, well, I don't really tweet much anymore. Just occasional despondent tweets about Brexit and, and how how many hand baskets there must be in hell at this point, <laughs> given how often we go there in one. Um, yeah, no, I don't tweet much. But it'd be lovely to see anyone say hello by all means. Of course. Yeah. And the Highlanders be back for Series Eleven. Oh, who knows? Be dead. Well, be dead by then. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and we, we've been having a little chat about trying to sort of pick up some of the ones, the episodes we haven't done in the past. So uh, we may be back a little sooner than that, but certainly for Series 11. Excellent. Wow, Lauren's ego is writing checks his body can't cash, to quote 1980s film Top Gun, as they <laughs> invariably probably fucking do in Ready Player One. Sorry for swearing so much, Mark. Right, we'll see you soon, I guess. Thanks a lot. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye.